The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like you to open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 19. And in the past two weeks, we've been talking about this subject that is very important for the life of our church and also for the health of our nation. Uh, Today, there is a great battle that's going on. There is an enemy that is hell-bent on destroying the very fabric of our society. Even now, we have civil rights activists that are assaulting the sanctity of marriage. I quoted a couple of weeks ago from J.C. Ryle, who is a 19th century churchman, And he said, nations are nothing but a collection of families. The good order of families depends entirely upon the uh, keeping the highest standard of respect for the marriage tie and the right training of children. And we are suffering terribly today because families are being broken apart. There is no longer, it seems, a respect for the marriage vow And as families are broken apart, there are children that are left out in the cold. The training of children suffers. And so what happens? We get children that grow up with the same values as their parents or lack of values, whichever way you want to put that. And the problem just keeps perpetuating itself. And sadly, churches aren't helping with it. I mean, today we have churches that sanction and perform gay marriages which is a contradiction of marriage if there ever was one. And preachers won't say anything about the rising tide of divorce that we have in our country, and they will not call people to repentance over this issue. Well, we see that there was also a problem in Jesus' day as well, that families were being destroyed, divorce was all too common, and much of it was done under the influence of religious leaders that had misinterpreted God's law. And doesn't that sound very familiar to us? People who misinterpret what the Bible says about these issues? Well, there were some who even thought that it was a righteous thing to get a divorce. But regardless of their excuses, they could always find justification for it. And it's an age-old problem, and we've always had to deal with this. And the problem really, right down at the very root of it, is selfishness. Every divorce begins in some form or another with selfishness. Now, in the preceding chapter, in Jesus' final discourse in Galilee, he gave a parable about forgiveness. Forgiveness pardons the wrongs that are done against us. Forgiveness is what causes self to take a back seat, and it considers the welfare of the other person before it considers our own. And what is forgiveness but this? It's the outworking of God's command that we are to love our neighbor as ourself. And if marriages were built on that principle, then we would never have another divorce. Well, before we read the text for today's sermon, we need to look at, uh, look back at what caused the disciples' dismay that we find in verse number 10. Uh, Jesus had ended his teaching in Galilee, and he was on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, these are the last weeks of Jesus' life, and he traveled to Judea through the area known as Perea. That was on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And there he was confronted by the usual suspects, 
These were the Pharisees that were always trying to discredit his ministry, always trying to attack his popularity with the people. And so they came to him with a loaded question, a question that no matter how he answered it would be a bad answer because somebody was going to disagree. He would, he would find problems with one group or another. And so these Pharisees ask in verse number 3, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And that was a calculated question. There was no intention here to learn something from Jesus that would help them spiritually, but rather the Bible says that they tempted him. You see, they hoped that they would get Jesus to say something inflammatory. Now, Jesus right then was passing through that area of Perea, an area that was governed by Herod Antipas. And sometime before this, John the Baptist had made some very inflammatory remarks. He condemned Herod for the adulterous situation in his own marriage. And because of that, Herod had him put into prison and had him beheaded. But what Jesus had to say was not inflammatory. And in fact, he chose not to answer the question directly at first. And so instead of talking about divorce, Jesus wanted to take them to the institution of marriage. You see, it's not important what men think. It's not important. What God says, that's the most important. God gave us marriage, and he intended that marriages should be permanent. And so for their better understanding, Jesus took them back to Genesis, to the very beginning, to the first marriage, the prototype marriage for all marriages, and that was the marriage of Adam and Eve. God joined one flesh together, And Jesus said, what God has joined together, men should not tear apart. Now, these words in Matthew 19, 4 through 6 are often quoted in marriage ceremonies. It says, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning, made them male and female, and said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh." What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Now those words are still quoted in marriage ceremonies today because we recognize that God is the one who gave us marriage. But the words ring hollow in the the ears of most people and uh, it did in the ears of these hypocrites that Jesus was talking about or talking to. God put the man and the woman together and he says they're not to be parted for any reason. So that answers the question of divorce. It should not be done because marriages are to be permanent. God put them together. Well, the Pharisees thought that they had something here. Uh, Surely Jesus has crossed himself. Uh, He went back to Genesis, and Genesis does say or does teach us that marriage is permanent. But they brought up the case of Moses, and they said, you know, Moses is the one whom God appointed to give us his law, and Moses gave a law for divorce. Or at least that's what they said that he did. So Jesus then moved beyond the permanency of marriage to the institution, from the institution of marriage on to the second part, which is the intrusion of divorce. Jesus talked about how divorce came about. Now the Pharisees thought that they had an excuse And so they ask in verse number 7, why did Moses give a command uh, of writing of divorcement to put her away? They were quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 24, and they said that Moses commanded divorce. 
Uh, We looked at that last week, and we saw that there is no such command anywhere in the Scriptures, but their opinion was based upon a misinterpretation, that Moses did not give a law of divorce. He gave a law of remarriage. He gave a regulation for what the people were already doing. You see, there was sin involved, and so Moses gave something to regulate that sin that was going on, and Jesus said, because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses had to give this this law in order to deal with the mess that you've created by all of your immoral divorces. And so in other words, Jesus said, you have sinned, and you continue to sin, and there's a law for remarriage that's given in order to regulate your sin. So what they'd done was they had distorted the law of God. They departed from God's original design. And the result was a multitude of divorces that were as much sin as they ever were. Well, thirdly, in our previous messages, we looked at the implications of divorce. Because there are divorce laws does not mean that the practice is righteous in God's eyes. Because you have a piece of paper that frees you from a marriage does not mean that everything is fine and dandy and now you're in the good graces of God. Divorce does not do anything but legalize adultery. Now that might seem shocking to you, but this is exactly what Jesus said in verse number 9. He said that anybody that marries a person that is divorced commits adultery and causes the person who married her to commit adultery Also, or that person who does that commits adultery also. I know that's tough teaching, and most people will not accept this today, but it's Bible. It's what God's Word says. So in God's eyes, a divorce does not free you to find someone else. Divorce may legitimize adultery in man's eyes, but it doesn't do so in God's eyes. Jesus said there is only one cause for divorce, and that can't happen unless somebody commits a very serious sin. One of the marriage partners has to be involved in a sexual relationship with someone other than husband or wife, and when that happens, then that person has torn the flesh apart. He's grievously sinned, and God grants the innocent party the right to remarry. And we also learn from 1 Corinthians that it's only right to remarry if a Christian marries another Christian. And so far from granting divorce for any reason, which is what they were practicing, God says there is only one reason, and somebody has to sin terribly in order to do it. Now, there's another implication from divorce. It makes more adulterers. Every time that a new wedding takes place, when divorces happened previously, then those people become adulterers. Now, the Pharisees thought that they were righteous, that they kept the law, but they were actually guilty of just egregious violations creating adulterers like a manufacturing plant. Well, that finally brings us to our text. I mean, these teachings were were very hard to take. The disciples had grown up in this system. They were trained in a society that granted divorce for any reason, and you can well imagine that they had to comment on these radically different ideas of Jesus. And so we read in verse number 10, His disciples say unto him, If the case of a man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. But he said unto them, All men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it is given. For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men, 
and there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake, he that is able to receive it, let him receive it. Well, these disciples had been raised in the teachings of a popular rabbi named Hillel. Hillel died about 20 years before this time, but what he said was still very popular. And he taught that divorce could be had for any reason. That if a wife displeased her husband for anything, didn't matter what it was, that he could get rid of her. Now, we have to keep in mind that this was a man's society. Women had little to no rights at all. They were at the mercy of their husbands. And so they could be treated any way that the husband wanted to treat them. And did you know that it was Christianity that helped to solve this problem and cleared it all up? If you look at the barbaric Muslim countries today, you find that they are against women's rights. They still live in the perversion that women are to be treated like livestock. But Christianity took care of that. Paul was a champion of women's rights. And he was just like these men. He was just like the disciples. He was just like all the rest of the Pharisees, not understanding what God's law said. And they were all raised in this tradition of Hillel, and they were shocked at what Jesus had to say. And their thoughts were that if this is the case, if we have to stay married, and we have to put up with a wife, even though she displeases us, then it's better for us not to get married. It's just best to forget about marriage and stay single. And you see, they didn't understand the teachings of love and forgiveness. They were still selfish. And they didn't consider what it meant to abide by God's law in truth. They didn't really consider what it was like for their wives to live with imperfect husbands. Christianity put husband and wife on equal footing in a marriage. And you know why? Because God says that we are all loved in the same way. God does not make a distinction between us. Galatians says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, we know the Bible teaches that a woman is to be in subjection to her husband for the good order of marriage and society, but that does not mean that a woman is inferior to her husband. God made no difference between us in our spirituality or in the worth to the kingdom of God. But the disciples weren't that far into their training with Jesus. The Holy Spirit would have to reveal some things to them later, and he would, And this was just training to get them ready, get them prepared for what was coming later. And they were just shocked about it. They weren't ready for women to have a favored position. And so they said, we can't put up with that. We'd just rather not be married. Now, understand this. They knew that marriage was a duty. They weren't yet educated beyond their intelligence like most people are today. And so they knew enough to understand about having children and about raising children in a family environment. So they never really proposed to end their marriages or end the human race by making, by making marriages valid uh, between... I mean, they wouldn't have thought of ending the human race by making, making valages married between same-sex partners. I mean, they're not thinking about things like this. But they proposed maybe we shouldn't get married at all. And so what was Jesus' answer to them? That takes us to part number four today where we'll finish this little series, and that is the investments in marriage. The investments in marriage. 
Now, we need to understand that these disciples did not intend to bail out of their marriages. I mean, we wonder how is it that Peter had been married for so long. Obviously, he, I would think that he had the same kind of fights with his wife that men and women have today. But Peter, I think, was probably well protected from divorce because scriptures teach that divorce is a disqualification for ministry. And so Peter wouldn't later have been able to be a, a leader in the church if he'd been divorced. But in any case, though, they, they didn't intend to get divorced, but like many people at that time and today, they wanted a, an escape hatch just in case. Now, many people will vow the vow until death do us part, but they've always got that thought in the back of their mind, there is a way out if I need it. And so what did Jesus say here? He said, all men cannot receive this saying except those to whom it is given. Now, he's not referring to his previous teachings about marriage and divorce, but here he's talking about what those disciples had just said, that it's better not to marry. Well, hardly anybody would agree with that statement. I mean, it would be very unusual for anyone to go around and say, well, it's just better for people not to marry. No, he says here that people will have a hard time. Not everybody can live with being single. It's a hard thing to do. And he doesn't put singleness above marriage, but he does give us here some categories of people that might want to remain single, that they would not get married. So he said, there are some that are born eunuchs. Now, you may not understand that terminology, so let me just tell you what it means. A eunuch means someone who is incapable of sexual relations. And he says that there are some people that are born that way. And he's not talking about homosexuals. He means that sometimes there are people that suffer from physical defects at birth, and that person may be born without an interest in women because of that defect. Now, in those days, there were many diseases. There were many childhood diseases, much of it brought on by the uh, sexually transmitted sort. And so that would cause birth defects. And so those children would remain single because of sterility. And he said there are some that are made eunuchs on purpose. This also happened. There were men who were emasculated, and they were put in charge of the harems. And so that they wouldn't be tempted with the women that were in the harem, they would emasculate, make that man a eunuch. Then he adds another class to this. He said there are some that have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven. And that means that they had accepted celibacy for religious purposes. They chose to live that way. I mean, just as Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 7. But that's not a requirement in any way for a person that enters into ministry. Not as the Roman Catholic Church teaches that the clergy must remain celibate. Neither Jesus nor Paul or any of the apostles advocated celibacy as a requirement for ministry. In fact, the Bible shows us that it takes a very unusual person to be, to be able to avoid all the temptations that come with being single. And so in most cases, it's better for a pastor to be married. I mean, we have to deal with all kinds of marriage issues. We have to be sympathetic towards those things. And there is no doubt that celibacy for priests has led to massive sexual abuse in the Roman Catholic Church. Well, perhaps you've read in the papers recently about the rampant homosexuality that's found in the Vatican. 
For years, the Vatican has had to deal with this cesspool of sexual perversion. And so if you think the Roman Catholics are seeing something new right now, this is not new at all. This has gone on throughout the history of Roman Catholicism. And when Pope Benedict XVI abdicated just a few months ago, you know what it's over? It's over his inability to deal with all of this corruption that goes on in the Vatican. So the Bible doesn't advocate it. It's a hard thing to do. And when Paul taught on the subject, he advised that if a person was in his position and could remain celibate, then it might be a good thing to do. Because what did Paul do? Well, he traveled around. He was a missionary that spent most of his time away from home. He couldn't care for a wife. Uh, he, he traveled many different places. He couldn't take his wife with him. And so he would have to leave her at home if he had one, leave her there for long stretches. And we know that Paul spent a lot of his time in prison because of his preaching. So you wouldn't want a wife that's been left at home wondering what's happened to her husband, worrying about that all of the time. That just wouldn't make sense. So Paul says, if you are in my position, then it might be better not to marry. But in almost all other cases... It's too difficult for ministers to remain purposely unmarried. So Jesus didn't say, you know something, you guys are right, that we would get so much more done if you just didn't have any wives. No. He's telling us there's some very special circumstances for a person to remain unmarried. Staying single creates more problems. It doesn't solve them. So how would he then bring this thing back around to show that marriage is best. Well, there'd have to be a radical change in their thinking. They'd have to see something different that God wants out of a relationship between a man and a woman. They'd have to see something different about how they were to treat each other. And so forgiveness at the end of chapter number 18 becomes integral to this discussion. I mean, this is what marriage has to do. It has to survive a whole lot of indiscretions. It has to uh, survive a whole lot of disagreements, a whole lot of arguments, and there has to be this selfless forgiveness. Marriage is a good thing, and we need it. And God knew that marriage was good. He created Adam, and immediately, just not long after he created him, he said, it's not good for man to dwell alone. He said, it's not good. And God knew why it wasn't good and why it would be hard to remain single. So what good is marriage? Well, there's a lot of people who have a hard time figuring out that problem, it seems, because you have all these divorces that are going on. And yet, those that get divorced, most of the time, get remarried. I want to give you five reasons why it's good to invest in marriage. And these are by no means exhaustive, and so if you've got some others you like to add, that's fine. But let me give you five reasons it's good to invest in marriage. Number one, marriage is good for your purity. I hope that I don't have to give you a lesson on the birds and the bees. You know this, that when you reach a certain age, you start thinking about the opposite sex. Now, moms, you don't like to think that your teenage sons are thinking about this, but they are. And fathers, you don't like to think about your teenage daughters thinking about this, but they are. The urges are there. That's part of being human. And the way things are going in our society, just be thankful that your children have an interest in the opposite sex. Be glad that they do. So the desires that God has put in us for that is 
it's, it's healthy to a point, but at some point, people start to act on the desire. And the Bible does not give permission to act on the desire except in the context of marriage. Now, it's shameful that sex has been so cheapened today that they tell us that kids in grade school are experimenting with it. And what would we expect when we've inundated our society with every kind of sexual perversion imaginable? This will be the outcome of it. There's no excuse for it. We're, we're foster, we're, we're foisting this upon our children with all the perversions that we have. But there is a proper age for it. And when that age is reached, this is the time to think about getting married. 1 Corinthians 7.2 says, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Now, you see it very clearly there that sex outside of marriage, the Bible says, is fornication. And in the sixth chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul had already written about fornication, and he said that fornicators shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And so he says to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and every wife her own husband. But fornication is so common today, and it's such a problem that churches overlook it. And they let people be in their congregations and members of their churches that are living in adulterous and fornicating relationships. Some churches will baptize people knowing that they're living together without marriage. You won't find that here at Berean. You can't be a member of Berean Baptist Church and live in fornication and be an, or an adulterer. Now, according to 1 Corinthians, if we have someone in the church guilty of fornication, the Bible says to remove that person from the membership. And so we don't baptize people that are living together and get them into the church just to throw them out of the church because they're fornicating. And so to maintain purity, the Word of God says people are to be married. First Thessalonians chapter 4, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel, or his body, that means, in sanctification and honor. This is something that needs to be taught in churches today, that this kind of thing is not to go on among those who claim to be the people of God. People that are living together without marriage are not to be members of the Lord's church. So when you can no longer maintain the purity, get married. And then when you get married, obey the command to be satisfied with your wife or husband, and that person only is your desire. You can't look elsewhere and please the Lord. Now, another reason for you to invest in marriage is for your companionship. God said, it's not good that man should dwell alone. Now, Adam, or God knew Adam's sexual desires because he created him that way, and he knew that Adam was alone. He said, it's not good to be alone. You need the emotional support of a husband or wife. You know, my wife understands me like no one else. And she often tells me, be glad I married you because nobody else would ever put up with you. And I know it's true. But, but my wife, you know, she, she's my best friend and my confidant. And as pastor, I, I try not to burden her with all the things that go on in the ministry here because she's very fiercely protective of me. You don't want to say anything bad about me in her presence. You know, the only time that she holds a grudge is when she hears somebody say something bad about me. 
And I don't know if that's a righteous reason or not, but that's the way that she is. She's my companion, and so you better leave me alone. Now, your companion is there to help you in your weaknesses. Eve was Adam's helper. Adam was a perfect man, and Eve was a perfect woman at first, but then they weren't so perfect any longer. And so it took them together to work with each other. They developed weaknesses, and so they had to help each other in their weaknesses. Now, my wife, you know how she is. She has a whole lot of trouble telling people no. I mean, if you ask her to do something, if she's not feeling well, which is a lot of the time with the problems that she has with her health, she'll still tell you yes, and she'll go ahead and do it when I have to say no because she won't tell you no. And then she has compassion that I don't have because there are times when I want to kill the grandkids, and she says, be patient with them, be patient. So marriage is good for companionship. Thirdly, marriage is for your welfare. Now, especially for the woman, marriage is good because you get a man to take care of you. Now, I know all about all the feminine stuff. I know all about the women's lib and all that kind of thing. Today, the workforce is almost equally men and women. But even though you might not want to hear this, the Bible still says that this is best, that a woman is to be a keeper at home, and the man is to support his wife and take care of his wife. And if we'd stuck to that, we'd probably have a lot better marriages, less divorce, and more well-adjusted kids instead of having somebody else take care of our kids all the time. But women, unless God has given you a gift of singleness, you need a husband. And the church can be a happy hunting ground for husbands. Now, a few years ago on Father's Day, I, I asked all of the men that were fathers to stand up, as I usually do. And I, and I don't know why I did this, but I had them sit down, and I said, now let's have all the single men stand up. And there was a young lady that came to me after the service, and she said, would you do that more often? <laughs> then I heard about a, a uh, woman in a congregation, the, the uh, song leader, the music minister, had, had said, you know, I want every one of you to choose your own hymn. And she said, oh, I choose him and him and him. <laughs> marriage is good for your welfare. Th fourthly, marriage is for your future. And maybe I should say marriage is for all of our futures. God said, be fruitful and multiply. Marriage is good for the human race. And that's why God said that marriage is between a man and a woman. We are supposed to have children. Now, in general... In most cases, we know that there's nothing that makes marriage better than to be able to share our lives with our children. Now, I know I'm not the best dad or wasn't the best dad. I mean, I, I love my kids. I wish that I knew then what I know now. I wish I was as wise in the very beginning. Uh, my kids would have, I would have spent a whole lot more time with my kids. And now we have the privilege, though, because we had children, we have the privilege of grandchildren and uh, there are times when I want to kill them, but actually I, I do miss them when they're not around. Grandkids are great. You can have them when you need them, and when they get on your nerves, you can send them home. I mean, there, there's nothing better than having rental kids. I mean, that, that's the best way to go. But that's how it should be in a marriage. And the disciples surmise for a little while that it's just better not to get married. But when they got the full teaching 
of what Jesus had to say to them. And when they learned what the Holy Spirit was going to reveal to them later, they learned how to treat their wives in a better way, and they learned what God thinks about relationships, and they knew better that marriage is good. God wants us to have good, godly marriages. But over the course of a few thousand years since the Garden of Eden uh, to the time that Jesus came, there were a lot of crazy perversions And marriage was one of them. Marriage became perverted. Women were treated wrongly. The partnership of marriage and the companionship of marriage was lost. But just like all other sins that we commit, Jesus is able to correct that and show us what God wants us to be. Well, let me add a fifth reason to invest in marriage. And this is actually the chief reason and brings us back to the the main premise of these messages. Marriage is supposed to be permanent, and you should invest in a godly marriage because marriage is symbolic of God's church. God made marriage emblematic of his church. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul wrote that husbands are to love their wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And that marriage union was chosen to, to represent the church, because there is nothing that is more intimate than marriage. Eve was made out of the flesh of Adam, and there couldn't have been a more, a closer organic relationship between the two than for Eve to be made out of Adam. She came out of him. God didn't choose an animal and then refashion that into something to make Uh, Adam a wife, and he didn't dig another hole in the ground and take some dirt from someplace else and make him a wife, but God chose to take the rib of Adam, to take that flesh from Adam, and to make Adam a wife, so that she became bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, and she became his wife. And do you know what happens when you become a believer in Jesus Christ? You are recreated in him. You're born from above. There's a special spiritual connection between you and Christ so that you can say, this is really a marriage that's made in heaven. We are enveloped in Christ so that we have his righteousness. We have a new nature that's implanted in us. Paul said in Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And when you're born again, you become eligible to be a part of the Lord's church. Now, we don't believe that regeneration makes you a part of the Lord's church any more than being physically born makes you married. No, God made Eve and presented her to Adam to be his wife, and Adam knew what that meant, that she belonged to him, and he was exuberantly happy to have her. And this is what you get when you trust Christ and you become a member of the Lord's church, when you become a part of the church, you get that sweet fellowship. You're part of this bride that God says one day he's going to make his wife in heaven. And do you know why the marriage has to be permanent? Or why marriage itself has to be permanent? Because marriage is symbolic of this union. Marriage pictures the relationship that we as a church have with Jesus Christ. And God will not separate from his church. And so when we're united to Christ, we're in a permanent relationship. We're with him forever. As Paul said, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Look at the end of Romans chapter 8 sometime and read those last few verses where Paul excludes all possibilities 
that we can never be separated from the love of God. God's love is permanent, and so to destroy a marriage is to destroy the symbolism that says that God just might sever his relationship with us. Is it lawful for a man to put his way as wife for every cause? No, because there is no cause that God will sever his relationship with his people. So divorce is not an option for us because divorce is not an option for God. Do you understand that? Marriage symbolizes Christ's church. Well, praise God for what Jesus taught. He knows the answers to all of our questions. And what we need to do is we need to sit and listen and learn from Jesus. If we would just take a little bit more time to read God's word, to understand what Jesus said, ask the Holy Spirit to guide us, we would be a whole lot better off in our marriages and in our church. He knows the answers to all the questions. Society is falling apart today because we haven't gone to the Word of God to see what God says about these matters. And when I say that the church doesn't help today and the church passes on this and pastors don't say anything about the problem, they're not helping the issue. It's not curing anything. We have to go back to God's Word. And I hope that you appreciate that Berean Baptist Church is a place where we go to God's Word. We don't want anything else to rule our lives but what Jesus Christ said, what the Holy Spirit has revealed in the inspired Word of God. Is it lawful to divorce? Is it right to divorce? Well, lawful maybe, not in God's eyes, in man's, but in God's eyes, it's not. There is no cause unless a very, very, very serious sin has been committed. Let's stay out of sin, and we won't have to deal with the issue. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had to spend together in your word. We we face this very, very pressing problem. Uh, A needful solution must be had. Uh, Lord, uh, the right solution must be had, and we know that it only comes from your word. If we would just stick to what your word actually says and not try to interpret things to our own advantage to do what we think is right, then we know that we'll discover the right answers to these issues. Lord, help us to depend on you, to look to you. Again today, Lord, we pray for those that are lost and among us today. We pray that your Holy Spirit would open their eyes to the truth. We may have divorced people in our congregation, and I'm sure that there are. There is forgiveness. All that needs to be done is to come to you, repent of that sin, and say, Lord, forgive me for what I've done. And you are always faithful to forgive us. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.